You guys can turn to Daniel chapter 3 if you want. There's a Bible in the chairs in front of you, which is page 739 if you want an easier way to get there. Otherwise, our app uh, has a Bible built in on the translation that we use called the English Standard Version. Um, week two in, in, in Daniel this week. And so last week, we began Daniel uh, did Daniel 1 and 2, kind of a longer introduction to the book and kind of our themes through it. Now, the first part of Daniel, uh, the first few chapters are Daniel, and then we're going to see three of his friends today. Uh, I referenced Veggie Tales last week and Rack Shack and Benny. If you've never heard of that, I posted that on Facebook for you. You had to have been there, I guess. But... Uh, these Jewish young men have been taken into Babylon. They've been exiled. And what happens is we open up the book. God has sent Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's the king, in and conquered Judah and Jerusalem. And so here's what I want you to hear. If all those words are unfamiliar, God sends a foreign pagan king to come in and conquer his people, Israel or Judah, right? And he does so because for years, he has been calling them to return to him. Some of the big ways are idolatry, right? That, that God's people are worshiping other idols. And he's been calling them back. They've had this theme throughout the time they've been in the land that they wanted to look like the nations around them more than they wanted to look like God's distinct people. And that's a place where we can look today and say, okay, that sounds like us, right? That we tend towards looking like the world that we live in more than we look like a unique people centered on Jesus. And so we're taking some of those themes and parallels, and what you just heard, as Ashley just read to us from Isaiah, is long before this happened, hundred and something years before this happens, Isaiah, prophet of God, is calling the people to return back to God. They're in the land, they're, they're, they're where God has placed them, they're in the land God has given them, but they're worshiping other idols, and they're living like the nations around them, and God is calling them to return. And God is saying, listen, come back, return, repent, change your heart, otherwise I'm going to send you into exile and let the other nations conquer you if that's what it takes to get your attention, and our starting point last week was that we need a new model for church. In other words, we need a new understanding of what we, the, the, the people that call Jesus our Savior, we need a new model for who we are and what we do, a, a, a more biblical model, because what we do today only works in friendly territory, in a, in a place of freedom. It would never work. Our church model today would never work in captivity. Take away the building, take away the Sunday service, take away your nonprofit status, take away all those kind of things, and the church would implode. And that's what we're looking at. If that is true, then we're not on track with where God would have us. So here's a main idea for today overcoming our own sin. God exiles Israel for their idolatry and then used idolatry in Babylon to test them again. We'll see that today. How might God use our sin to test us in future times? What would be the thing that we do today that God is telling us not to do 
that God is calling us away from, that we're just kind of ignoring, that God could use in a bigger way in the future that we would have to walk through. And here's what we figured out. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably figured this out. Unrepentant sin seems to be the way God gets your attention to, just in heightened, bigger ways. We always have to walk back through the things we did, and so the sooner, the better. So in Isaiah chapter 2, it said this, their land is filled with idols, they bow down to the work of their hands at what their own fingers have made. That's the idolatry of Israel that 150 years before exile, God is calling them to repent of. So Daniel chapter 3, let's get started in verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So again, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. They are the greatest, most powerful nation at this time in this area. And he's conquered the Jewish people. He's also conquered other people. And he has now erected a and a golden image of himself in the middle of a major town. That's the idea, right? Gigantic Nebuchadnezzar statue, all in the middle of town. Verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors, and the counselors and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So that's all the officials, a lot of terms we don't use anymore, but all the people of high position. Let's get everybody who's anybody, let's get them all together, let's bring them in, and let's show them, and let's, let's dedicate this statue. Verse 3. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and, they, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are, the com you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So the command here is when you hear the music, right, your job is to fall down and worship at the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, right? So there are, there are places, and I know we've probably seen them on television shows, there are places in the in kind of Middle East or other places where at times of prayer, Muslim times of prayer, you can hear throughout the city, you can hear the call to prayer, or even the prayer itself ring out in the city. Kind of think like that, and there would be this music played. Of course, it wasn't digital, it wasn't being, you know, electronically broadcasted throughout the city, but they're playing this music, and the call is at that moment, you're to stop what you're doing, and you're to bow down and worship, right? The language is super clear. You were commanded, when you hear the sound of the music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar. So we worship, and one of the ways we do that is with music, right? Pastor Paul just led the band through that, leading us through songs and prayer and scripture and all those things. We, we worship, worship often with music. Now, that's, we're not limited to that. Our lives should be given over as worship. In other words, glorifying God. That's what Paul says to the church in Rome, to Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's your worship of God, right? That you live a life that glorifies God. But there are moments, particular moments, where music is played and we worship. We worship Jesus. We worship God, right? That God the Trinity, right? We do that. And so he's saying, now listen, when you hear the music, you're going you're to worship Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I want to ask you this, and, and 
always as we understand the story we're reading, right, the historical account of Daniel and the others in Babylon, we always want to kind of pause and say, okay, how does that apply to us? And so think back over the last 18 months, right? Has anybody asked you to worship another god? No? Thanks, Brooke. Nobody else answered. All right. So, no, no. Has anybody asked you to worship another god? Hey, when you play the music, you got to bow down and worship. Now you insert the person you don't like. I don't care. Obama, Trump, Biden. Pick one. Newsom, I don't care who it is. Don't say it out loud. We don't want to fight. All right. So, bow down and worship, right? It is not unclear how, how, what some of, who some of you are for and against, right? So we don't want to go there. But nobody has asked you asked us to worship anyone other than God, right? COVID restrictions hit, and the American church grenaded, right? It imploded and kind of fell apart at the seams. I'm mixing metaphors there, but didn't do well is what I'm aiming for. We had a moment, and I've said this over and over again, we had a moment about 18 months ago where the world is in turmoil. And if I can say the biggest issue probably 18 months ago, beginning of March, mid-March, if I can say the biggest issue with COVID was the unknown, right? And in the unknown, a lot of people say a lot of things, right? The unknown now, the effect of the Delta variant, right? The unknown now is this, is that, is this. And in the absence of knowing, a lot of people say a lot of things, right? I never realized that the thousands of people I know on Facebook were all licensed epidemiologists, but somehow (laughs) they are, right? Nobody ever asked me to worship someone or something other than God. But I heard language used like that, and so did you, right? Will you go online for three weeks, or will you not meet for three weeks? Either way you ask that. In Scotland, no, it was in Wales. In Wales, the Welsh church stopped meeting, I think it was like three, four, five weeks. The entire Welsh church, not one all of them, right? Stop meeting for how many ever weeks, they agreed upon it, they all did it, nobody complained, and they set that side of time, like, hey, spend that time with your family, spend the time in prayer, here's some stuff to do, here's this, right? And they took this time off, and then they came back together, and they helped their nation work through, you know, all the language you use, flatten the curve, all these things, right? The American church, rather than having a unified response, just imploded, right? with all kinds of things. Go back, just look, 18 months ago, just just kind of follow along the timelines that existed. And here's my challenge for today. What is faith-based and what is political? Because they're not the same. We try and make them the same. They're not the same. All right, fall down at at the music, worship Nebuchadnezzar, verse six. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So, Death penalty, if you don't do this, that's the deal. Now, did we creep anywhere near this setting in Daniel over the last 18 months? Hard no, right? We may not like things, and we may be right in not liking some of them. Not the point, right? Never got into this territory. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard about the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music... All the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The obedience of the world, right, in this moment, is that they do that. And and a lot of people here 
are polytheistic. Many, dea- many, many gods, many idols, many forms of worship. Think Hinduism that has thousands of ways to worship. Think of in the book of Acts, Paul, when he goes to Mars Hill, I think that's Acts 17, he, he goes into Athens. And they have all these statues set up of various idols that they worship. And then they have this one that's empty and it says, to an unknown God, like in case we forgot something, we have room, right? In a place of polytheism with many forms of worship, adding one more God is not a problem. Judaism, however, Christianity, is monotheistic. There is one God, right? Yes, we believe in a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it is one God expressed in three persons, right? Monotheism. In monotheism, you are not to worship any other God. There is but one God, right? And so here's the problem. Now, all kinds of people bow down and they worship Nebuchadnezzar, including, we believe, Jewish exiles. People that are exiled for idolatry already, who have been moved on into Babylon, what is the likelihood they're going to resist this, right? At no threat, they were already worshiping false idols. Now the threat of their life, it's very likely they complied, right? But if you know this story today, we look at those who don't comply, right? Now, there's a risk here, and so I want to give you a big caution. There's a risk that we would read this passage, that we would see the world bowing down to an idol here in this setting, and we would say, that's what the world does, that's what I'm fighting against. As if we're the good guy in the story. Let me caution you to not just be the good guy in the story, right? That's the place where we see everybody else as obeying wrong things, and we are the godly ones who resist. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, Chaldeans came forward and and maliciously accused the Jews. So, Jews are monotheistic. Some of the Jews are abstaining, right? And they're resisting this form of idolatry. Now, what's the criteria here? False worship, right? They've already lost all their rights. They're exiled in Babylon. They don't have any rights. They're functional servants or slaves. They're exiled into Babylon, right? And they were exiled into Babylon due to idolatry. So here's the irony, or here's where God is weighing in. Their issue was bowing down to other gods, not God. False gods, false worship. So now their test is, now at the threat of your life, can you stand up and only worship God, right? See how that circles around and kind of bites them, if you will, right? Now, Christians today struggle with idolatry. If I were to say, what's the greatest idol in the American, Western American church today? It's politics, right? It is political parties, politicians, and politics, right? All of that, and I I say that neutrally, I say that over both sides of the aisle, right? Red and blue, donkey elephant, pick your team, right? Idolatry of the church today, the most common idolatry in the church today is politics. And we blur them together, And we try and say our belief system is informed by our faith. I'm going to say that's not entirely accurate. We're just going to kind of call that out and say, okay, we try and say that, but it's not true. So today, let's us pull those things apart and say, okay, what's faith-based and what's just political? They're being asked to worship Nebuchadnezzar. That's a faith-based issue. 
And they're being asked, they're being commanded to do that, and the threat is, or we'll kill you, right? They have a moment, they have this line, where they, if they cross over, they're in false worship, and if they don't, they're likely to die. All right, verse 8. They declare to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, this is the people. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews. Here's the line. There are certain Jews, right? Not all Jews. That's the problem, right? If all Jews, we'd have kind of an, an uprising of a people group, but that people group is the one that's been exiled for their idolatry already. But there are certain Jews, verse 12, whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So three Jews are named as resisting. Are there others? Probably. We assume Daniel didn't do it either. But this is in one place where Daniel's in another place, right? And in this space, we know these three guys stand up and don't worship Nebuchadnezzar. So I just want to run through this. What did they resist over, right? Well, they didn't resist over being exiled, modern-day American term, not over losing their constitutional rights. That would be a way of saying that, right? Because that ship's already sailed. They're already, they've already lost everything. They're already there, right? They didn't resist over being renamed. Notice it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three names that are taken from false Babylonian or Chaldean idols, right? Nebo and, 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 and others, right? Because their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and I'm missing one, right? But there are other names, right? Is it Abishai? Azariah. There we go. Thank you, because you're teaching the kids, right? So they have Jewish names, that are named after the El and the Ah in there are named after Yahweh or Jehovah and Elohim. They had names like we have, like Christian, named after Christ, right? We ha they have names like that, and those names are taken from them, and they're given pagan names, right? Names of another faith system, like naming you Mohammed or Confucius or something, right? So they don't resist over being renamed. They didn't resist over the three years of indoctrination that they were given, in fact, they excelled at it and passed all the tests without complying to it. And they didn't public, uh, resist publicly, at least, over issues of conscience. Whatever their issue was with the food and wine being given to them, we don't know why, but they had an issue of conscience with it. And privately, they went to a leader and said, hey, we can't eat that. What can we do? And they negotiated with him and worked out a deal to eat vegetables and, and be tested for 10 days. Like, hey, listen, if God honors this and we're still healthy, will you let us do this, right? They didn't go on strike. They didn't post on social media. They didn't go out there and hold up banners privately. Where do they make their public stand? I can't bow down and worship that. Like, that's my deal. Like, that's the thing I can't do. Resistance. We'll put this on the screen. Godly biblical resistance is much different than what we see today. Denying God by worshiping another God or an idol is much different than political dissent. Now, we try and couch our political dissent in our faith. My challenge today, they're not the same. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. 
Let's pause just for a second there. We all want to think that given the confrontation in this moment, that we would stand up, right? That we would, there's the idol, music plays, your job is to bow down and worship it. We all want to read this and think, hey, if this were me, I would totally not bow down and worship that, right? Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. Let me just say this kind of nationally about the church. Nationally, about 18 months ago when churches went online only or struggled to get online, maybe they didn't have an online presence, when they said, okay, we're not going to meet for a short time, what happened to the church? Church attendance declined dramatically. Church giving nationally declined dramatically. And I can't thank you guys enough. Our giving didn't. And that's your generosity. That's your commitment to your faith. And so maybe in these moments, you're strong. Maybe you have that sense of being able to stand up for what you truly, maybe you are truly convicted about what you believe. But nationally, the church in America tanked. And they did so while arguing loudly about in-person versus online, or mask or no mask, or what do we do indoors, outdoors? What does the Supreme Court say? What does the Constitution say? In all that setting... The church had no unified response, and the church in general plummeted. If that happened in a you-can't-meet-indoors-for-three-weeks, which became months, I know that, but those first three weeks were heated. If the church tanked in those three weeks, what makes us believe that the church at large in this moment, either bow down or die, would do any better? Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. How deep our convictions are will be revealed in moments of testing, be them small or, God forbid, large. So persecution, we'll put this up too. There are a total of four Jewish men who stand up for their faith in Babylon. That's not just this chapter, that's the entire book. It's Daniel and these three, right? Amidst many who don't, American Christianity would likely not do much better. Why do I keep drilling down on this? Why do I keep pushing on this? Because we have to understand ourselves if we're going to fix anything. Again, last week we said, first and second Samuel with a a godly king or even failed flawed kings, but a king who professes to worship God, right? In a nation that is led by God with God's scripture, God's prophet, God's rules, right? That's first and second Samuel. And then now we're in Daniel, where we're in Babylon, where it's a completely pagan nation, and everything about God is being challenged and pushed against, and they're being indoctrinated to be over here. Here's what I said last week, and I will stand by this. We are far closer to Daniel than we are to first and second Samuel. You and I today live in a culture that is far more anti-Jesus, anti-Christianity than it is pro-Jesus. And Christianity. We still have freedoms. We still have the right to be right here where we are. And, and I hope we don't lose that. But we are far closer. We are far more counter-cultural than we are in alignment with culture. That should scare us. If we're far closer to Babylon than we are Israel, then we should understand, hey, we're far closer to persecution, and actual, tri- actual persecution, life and death decisions like this. We're far closer to that than we are being a theocracy or a Christian nation. And if that's true, then we need a hard, kind of we need that, that chin check, that kind of thing that says, okay, will you stand up? We need that thing that says, if this was you, would you make it? If this was me, would I make it? 
And the only reason we can truly answer that is we look around at the other settings, the other things we have endured together and say, how did we do? And over the last 18 months, the answer is not very well. That should scare us. That should get our attention. That should be the moment where you're sitting with your doctor and he says, you have cancer. And everything changes in that moment. You're like, say that again. Now, what do I do? That needs to be us today. We have a cancer in the church, and it's idolatry, and it's not new. It's been going on for thousands of years, and ours is pronounced and widely accepted. There will be gazillions of pastors on stages today preaching politics rather than Scripture. So how are we going to change? Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready... When you hear the sound, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigger, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Last chance to bow down. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen, we will not serve your gods or worship the image that you've set up. We don't need another shot, and you don't need to start the music. Here's our answer. We just won't do it. I want you to see the distance from their life in Israel, their life in Judah, their life in Jerusalem. I want you to see the distance from where they were to where they are when they stand up and say no. I want you to see all the things that happen along this timeline. I want you to see the indoctrination they went through, that they resisted, but that they didn't publicly resist. Internally, they didn't change their hearts or their worship but they passed all the classes on critical race theory and LGBTQ, and, and, and they went through and they passed all the science classes on evolution. They did all this stuff, even though in their hearts they're like, that is not what God is leading me to. They were so far into culture that they had been renamed by pagan god names, and they didn't say a word. And then at one point, there's something that for some reason violates their conscience about the food, and they privately and quietly and respectfully go and they find someone who's over them and say, hey, listen, we just can't do this. How do we figure this out? They go through all that. They spend all this time before they stand up and say, no, here's my public stand. No, I won't bow down and worship that. Just apply that to culture today. Look at all the conversations that are going on around public schooling and the things that are taught in curriculum today. And just understand, it's not new. There's a new topic, but it's not new. The problem we have today isn't what public school is teaching, it's what we're not teaching at home. Because these guys make it through, because there are students that exist in public school who never shake their faith, but there are the many that aren't trained at home, that aren't told, that aren't raised in the gospel, 
that don't go to Bible teaching churches, that don't do this, who the next thing you know, we find them completely bought in. I have the privilege of teaching some things at a Christian school, and we see this in a Christian school. Rob's there too. We see this in Christian schools. Christian kids aren't exempt. Christian schools aren't exempt. What changes is what they've been taught at home. So we need to choose our moments better. Here's a note for you. The church in America fights over everything and with everyone. I couldn't say that any clearer than that. This is why culture often doesn't take us seriously. This is why culture doesn't see Christ in us. Because we're always fighting with someone, whether our own or somebody else or whatever. We're always arguing about something. Like the kids who cried, like the little boy who cried wolf, right? Always crying wolf. The other one who's the sky is falling. Like at some point, you're like, I, I can't take you seriously anymore. I don't, get, I don't see Jesus in this. We need to choose our moments better. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and his expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. So these men went bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. They stand their ground. They pick their moment. They have been amazingly humble and godly, which can happen, right? All the way up to this. Thank you. I appreciate that. And now they choose their moment. Hey, we can't, we're not going to worship somebody else. Like we totally could. We're not going to. We'll die. We're okay with dying. We'd rather die for our faith. We'd rather God lets us die for our faith. And then on the other hand, God can save us anyhow. So we're not going to bow down. They choose their moment well. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Inside this furnace, Jesus meets them. There's this amazing thing, and I had the opportunity to teach of uh, two semesters, it's a one semester class on doctrine, and we got to Christology, the doctrine of Jesus, and, and we know that Jesus is God, we know that Jesus becomes flesh, but a lot of times what we have a hard time with is, we can find, I can even show you Jesus in creation, right? Creating humanity, the beginning, in the beginning, Jesus is there, right? The Gospel of John chapter one talks about that, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh, Jesus, right? And then Jesus becomes flesh, right? What we celebrate around Christmas time, we see that. But sometimes we lose sight of Jesus in the middle. But Jesus makes all kinds of appearances in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up all kinds of times because the gospel has always been Jesus, right? The gospel that God proclaims in the garden is, hey, sin has wrecked this relationship between me and you and between you and one another and you and the world. Sin has corrupted everything and now you're broken and now... You used to have the freedom not to sin, and now you have no freedom not to sin. You will always be sinful. But I will come and fix this. And God says, listen, I will send my son. He talks about the seed of the woman will come in and crush the head of Satan, even though he will suffer 
a mortal wound. He proclaims the death and resurrection back there in the garden. Jesus has always been our redemptive plan, that Jesus would live a sinless life, the one that you and I are called to live, but we fail. That he would die a death you and I deserve, and he does not. That he would be laid in the tomb to cover our sins because he is sinless. He would be resurrected from the grave to give you, me, us new life. Not a forgiven version of our old brokenness, but a new life. That we truly become new in Christ. That Jesus ascends back to heaven, seated on his throne, and he pours out his spirit on every believer. That we have the power to be transformed. That we are not bound by our worst decisions way back here, but rather we are defined by Christ's greatest victories. And that we have the hope that one day, whether we die in the fire or God saves us, that we will be reconnected with him. That we will live in the kingdom forever. That's the gospel. Jesus, on his time after the resurrection and before the ascension, he says this. He says, and in fact, we'll put it up, Matthew 20, 18. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And here's what he says. I am with you always. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got to experience that even before Jesus said that. I am with you. You're going through the storm. You're going through persecution. You're going through the fire, literally through the fire. I'm with you. And Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, says, my math's not great, but there was three, right? There's four now. And one of them looks like a son of the gods. One of them's different. Nebuchadnezzar sees what God does for them, through them, and in them. Verse 25, 26, excuse me, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the, bir- the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the, listen, servants of the Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar is not converting to Judaism in this moment. What he's recognizing is that the God who is their God is above everything else he worships. He's come that far in this moment, which is major, right? Because he sees them, and he's watched them, and he sees what Jesus does for them. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and prefects and governors and the king's counselors gathered together And they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Note, they never correct him and like, Hey, that's not my name. My name's Azariah right? They just take it. They're that far in before they make their stand. And when they do, look how God honors them. There's three things here. One, servants of the most high God come out. Nebuchadnezzar sees their faith and through them sees the one true God. It says the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. That's what it says. The fire had no power over the bodies of these men. 
Remember, Jesus teaches us, don't fear what this world can do to you, what any person or this world can do to you. Fear God, who has control over this world and the one to come, right? They weren't scared of the fire. They know God is bigger than that. And they said, either God will deliver us or God will let us die. Either way, God is God, and we won't betray that. It says they yielded up, and I want you to hear this, they yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. That is the exact opposite of Western American Christianity, where we want everybody else to give up and not us. They yielded their bodies, and God honored them. Let's wrap this up. Verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, their houses laid in ruins. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He promotes them. He's terrified of them. Let's be honest. Like, I don't understand what just happened here. Nobody say a word against this God. Like, I'm not fighting that fight. There's no way, right? I want you to see the difference here. And we'll close with this. They didn't argue about what they were being taught in their schools. They also didn't believe what they were being taught in their schools. The difference was their faith inside them. They didn't fight over their name and being named after a pagan god and that they had originally bore the name of their one true god. They didn't argue about that. They didn't speak up against that. They say that because these are political things for them. The literature that we're taught, the music that we're taught, the culture that we're taught, that's political, that's cultural, that's worldly. My faith is other than that. They were able to live so far into a pagan culture without arguing with anybody that they had favor every time they turned around. God honored them every time they turned around. And when they got to that point, where culture was truly asking them to deny their God by worshiping another. That's where they drew the line. And that's where they said, listen, we don't need another shot. Don't even start the music. We trust our God. And God is honored through them. Let's not confuse our faith in politics. Let's not hear, when we hear things that are being taught, we hear about the LGBTQ agenda, we hear about CRT, we hear about this, we hear about that. I don't care what the thing is. Understand this. If your solution has to do with a politician, a vote, a law, or something else, you have a political solution to a faith-based problem. If you want to ban abortion, which I would love to see happen, I would love to see unborn life protected, but my hope is not in a law or overturning Roe v. Wade. My hope is in walking with and giving hope to young women in crisis pregnancies. Because that's where God would call us, his church, to be, is walking alongside the hurting, the struggling, and the broken. And that one life at a time, we can impact, and the world we live in can be changed. Otherwise, we can try and vote for the right thing, and every four years watch it ping-pong back and forth and never change a single heart because we've blurred and confused the distinction between faith and politics. There's a conversation to be had about all these things, and there's a faith-based conversation 
that the image of God exists in every person apart from what color they are, or how much money they make, or how smart they are, or whether they're male or female, or whatever. There's a conversation based in faith to be had that we will never be able to solve with a political solution. Because inside the heart will always be corrupt. Let's aim at the faith. Let's aim at our faith. Not everybody else's. Let's start with ours. And let God use us in those moments so that others may see God in us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You walk with us in the storm. You walk with us in the fire, to use today's illustration. You said, go make disciples. You didn't say change the world. You said, walk with me as I get to change people. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that we can shortcut what you told us to do, that we don't have to make disciples, that we don't, that we don't have to go through the hard work of teaching people what you've said and baptizing them, we don't, that we can just vote in our answer. Forgive us that we have then found ourselves in one of two camps primarily, and that we like to co-opt that and think that you're represented by one or the other. And we miss that both are human and both are flawed and both will never solve our problems. Help us to repent of our idolatries. And there are far more for sure. More than politics, we have all kinds of things. Forgive us for our idolatries. Help us to find our faith and to drive deeply in our faith. Let us be the ones that would stand up and, and that would give our lives. Help us to have that strength of conviction inside of us. Help us to be those people where others will see past the exterior and that they will see Christ in us. Help us, Lord. Help us be like you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.